Welcome to the Mom Village Podcast. We are three multicultural moms sharing our journey through motherhood with the Christ Center Foundation. For information and resources, visit us at our church's website at gofamilychurch.org. Or you can also email us at themomvillage at gofamilychurch.org. And please go over and follow us on Instagram at themomvillagefc. We're glad that you're here and welcome to our village. What's up, Mom Village? Jimmy Scroggins here, stepping in for the moms who are usually hosting the show. We do have the moms present with us, but the dads are asking a lot of the questions today. I want to introduce our team to you. So I'm here, Jimmy Scroggins, here with my wife. Hi, ladies. That's Kristen Scroggins. (laughs) Also, Jesus Marie Ramos. And Christian Ramos. That voice Christian has. It's kind of, yeah. Does it remind you of the shirt that Christian I, was wearing on the screen the other Yeah, day? I don't know, man. That was something else. I feel like it's a cross between a, a bad try of an Italian lover and a WWF wrestler. And the movie preview guy. It's like a failed Batman. Yeah, like a failed Batman. All right, we have one more couple with us here. Eric and Kira, you want to introduce yourselves? Hey, Village, it's Kira, and I brought my hubby. This is Eric Kelly. Hey, I like that. <laughs> All right. Well, we've got some things we're talking about, especially focusing on raising sons. I think that's why we're invited to come because you need to know that when it comes to Christian and to Eric and to myself, I mean, in our in our in our home, we are the kings of our castles. We do wear the pants in our homes. These women do tell us which pants to wear. They pick them out. They buy them. So uh, we've been we've been invited to come and share. So Eric, why don't you start us off with our interview today? It's good to be back here with you, gentlemen, and with the moms. We're going to begin talking about respect toward women. So the first question I'm going to throw this out: How do we teach our sons to be respectful toward women, and especially as we're thinking about dating and that process of them getting to know a young lady? So. Uh, Either one of you, gents. Jimmy, like you're ready, you're ready to jump in on this. How do we teach them to be respectful? Well, I think the, the main thing we do to teach them to be respectful is to model it. Yeah. They're going to tend to treat ladies the way they see us treat ladies. They're going to talk about ladies the way they hear us talk about ladies. They're going to look at ladies the way they see us look at ladies. And they're going to tend to imitate what they what they see from their dads. If there's a dad in the home, then one of the best things we can do is model respectful behavior, model the right kind of honor. And to refrain from any kind of uh, objectification, that kind of thing. But also think we can model a healthy, romantic attraction to our spouses and that they can see that as well, which gives them something to sort of uh, shoot for. Because as we're preparing our sons to date, which means we're preparing them for marriage, we, we actually think that there's a, there is a, a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Like this, this, this is, there's a destination at the end of this road. We're trying to help them move towards something beautiful that God has designed. And we ought to make marriage seem accessible, something they could do, and also enjoyable, something they would, they would, they would like. What, what about you, Chris? I know your boys are younger, but I know you're already thinking about it because yeah. those kids are some Casanovas. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, um, I was, I was thinking about this and I really learned this from you. And is anytime I have an interaction, I try to share, like, I try to hug mom and kiss mom in front of my kids. And like, you know, I mean, I'm not going super graphic, but I'm like, <laughs> I, I'm kissing my wife. I'm Why kissing their mom. Like, and I want them to see it. And uh, and sometimes Christian Anthony's like, uh, okay, not my oldest, you know, he's just kind of looking at me. And then I, I would actually say, hey, one day God is going to give you a wife. 
Mm-hmm. And, and and you need to love her and you need to care for her. You know what? And, and I tell my kids this, guys. I mean, this might be terrible parenting, but I go, you know what I love the most in this room? I love mom the most. Do I love you? I love you, but I love her way more than I love you. <laughs> there you go. But I'm, I'm just trying to teach them that one day God is going to give him the opportunity to hopefully have a spouse. And I want him to look forward to that. Mm-hmm. And I want, and I tell him, you know, God is going to give you a spouse who's going to be great like mom. And you're going to have to love her and care for her. And you know why I go out to work every day? It's so that mommy can actually have the things that she has so that she can give you the food that you have. So that, I mean, I want to, I want to make her happy so that you can be happy. So I just try to teach him and be very emotive, I think, with my spouse, with my wife, their mother, so they can see, so he can see how he should be treating the woman that God is going to bring into his life. And I I know our our kids are young and our girls are young, but I tell them, I don't know if it's too graphic again, (laughs) but I tell my girls, I'm like, hey, no boyfriend gets husband's privileges. And You'll see. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes. I like so, that. Come on. And they don't know I'm yet. Take that. I'm gonna take that. Same <laughs> they don't know. Demo. They don't know yet all that I that I'm saying with that comment. But I do tell them because they watch movies and yeah. they watch things with us. And I tell them, hey, you see that's and they and they're asking me. They ask me. They're like, why are they doing that? I'm like, well, you see, that's not appropriate. Well, you do that. Telemundo, yes. <laughs> they don't watch Telemundo. <laughs> I tell them, you see, you don't do that unless you're married. Like it's a good conversation starter, and I let them know that you don't do that's that good. with a boyfriend unless you're married. Yeah. But to your point, Jimmy, is modeling. I model it at home. Yeah. The way that I treat my wife. I want to hear what Pastor Eric has to say about this, but I will tell you that Pastor Jimmy models it at home too. And we have a 13-year-old now, as y'all do. And the other day he goes, Mom, why does Dad kiss you at the table and and make those weird groaning noise when he's doing it because he likes it or because he's trying to tell us that he likes you because we got it. Like, we we don't— if it's just for us, he can cut it out. Make a point. Hey, I don't want to overcook the weird groaning noises. I... Well, yeah, that was probably a weird way to say it. You know what I mean? Like mm, that thing. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I do that a lot. Mm. Mm. <laughs> but, but he deep down inside those boys, even though it's uncomfortable for him, it 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 so, means something. Yeah, I mean, we do the same. We we model it. The, the opposite, well, not the opposite. On the other side of the coin, so Christian said he will say. You know, one day you got to give you a wife. My boys, when they hug up on Curie too much, I will tell them to go get your, your wife. wife. <laughs> <laughs> this is my wife. You want to hug and snuggle, <laughs> snuggle, you go get your own wife. That's true. <laughs> what? No. Uh, no, it, it's it's modeling. It's And it's, it's healthy. And, you know, Jimmy, yeah, we want to model it. And our kids, and I think it's cute that, that Caleb acknowledged it that way. And they'll have those stories to tell yeah. for a long, and, long time. And let me put you on the spot. Like, why is it so important our village knows that you guys have to model it so much? Because the world is going to model it in a different way, right? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. we don't want the world to teach our kids the truth or the real model of what the world thinks it is mm-hmm. being married or a wife and a husband. Well, yeah. One of the great things, too, Jishma, is that I think for all of us in our homes, it's it's authentic. So we have real marriages. Everybody has their ups and downs and their good days and their days that aren't as good. But I will say all of us have like enjoy being married to each other. Yeah. So like we have fun. So it's it's not like I'm trying to convince Caleb that I like their mom. Like I actually do like their mom, even when Caleb's not around. And so, uh, Especially when Caleb's not around. Well, you filled in the blanks. So there you go. I know you. Yeah, that's right. But I, I do think that part of what 
so such a blessing is if you can have a relationship with your spouse that you truly enjoy and treasure and honor, then it's not about playing a game or sending some kind of a false message. You're yeah. actually just allowing them to see what's actually there and what's real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was looking around the table, and between the three families represented here, we have 10 boys. And it's such a blessing that in each family, each boy has a brother, at least one brother in the families. So tell us, how do you encourage or help the brothers to remain good friends? And how do you encourage the brothers, the sons, to look after and develop friendships with the sisters? I'd say, Kristen, you have a really good frame on that. I'd love for you to respond. Oh, wow. I thought this was the dad. <laughs> I did. I just told you what to do. <laughs> He's giving you points. Yes, but you know what? Ridiculous. You know, Kristen, one thing I picked up from you, though, you always call the brothers the brothers. Yeah. Yeah. Now, that's I, true. You call the brother, and I started doing that in our house. Mm-hmm. So it kind of spilled over. I'm mm-hmm. like, hey. Y'all the brothers, y'all the team. And that's mm-hmm. another thing I've picked up from you as, you know, we've become friends over the years and we parented mm-hmm. together that we've kind of instilled that team in our mm-hmm. home mm-hmm. that even when our kids get older and they enter middle school and I think they do kind of pull away and they do have their friendship groups, but we continue to say, but these are the brothers. Mm-hmm. These yeah. are the brothers. Mm-hmm. And up until a year ago, our three boys were still all in the same Bedroom, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and you know we are mm-hmm. big boys. Mm-hmm. So that, we, I mean, part of it was that was their by design. Yeah, yeah, it was their choice. Yeah, I mean, we kept saying, "Hey, we can scoot somebody out," and they were like, "No." And Mason was seventeen, so we had like a seventeen, a fourteen, and a twelve-year-old in yeah, the right. same room. Yeah, right. yeah. yeah. And they loved it. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think part of what we can do and moms, it probably, this probably lands on us because we're with them the most when they're young is speaking things into existence before (laughs) it is so. So using terms like, Hey, go get the brothers. Y'all are the brothers. Yeah. I used to tell them all the time. Y'all are best friends. <laughs> I know they're thinking, nope. No. Uh, y'all, y- these are your best friends. Now, you can have other friends at church and school and sports teams, and that's awesome, and God loves friendships, but these guys are your best friends. And so you speak these things into existence before it's so, and you're teaching them something and you know, helping them learn how to love things, the best things about them and cover over things that are struggles, not that they don't understand that they exist, Mm -hmm. but that they're just not majoring on the hard things about their brother's personality, but that they embrace the uniqueness. And that takes time and it takes encouragement from mom and dad and it takes intentionality for us to be doing that as well. But guys, what what do you guys think? You know, one of the things I was thinking about, Kristen, is friendship is like, you know, between siblings is like any other friendship. It it, it needs time and space to develop. So Mm -hmm. one of the things that I do love about our home in particular, which is not perfect, by the way. So what our kids get to see is us showing affection. But Madison told us a couple of years ago, she's like, Mom, that you guys know that the boys, we know when you all are not in agreement on something. We we thought we were hiding it pretty well in the house or that we were, you know, but they're like, yeah. listen, we know that things are not always. And then we just, we, we, we're good with that. But one of the things I do love is that in our home, it's an environment where they can naturally also come to know each other. I mean, now one of the interesting things is Maddie is our, of you know out at school she's home now for the summer but she has developed relationships with each of the boys and she actually coaches the boys on things like for instance miles is the one that would usually go and say well i want to do this or that so he'll go to maddie and there was something that came up not long ago that he wanted to do and he went to his sister first Mm. and he told me and she told me later that the counsel was 
She's like, hey, buddy, you know, that's probably a lot more responsibility than you want to have right now. And I think just them watching over each other during the time they're in the home, I believe something naturally will also occur as we're intentional about it, as you're saying, Kristen. There's something naturally that's going to occur, I believe, between them. And every now and then there's going to be friction, obviously. So don't think that we're saying they are not going to get get at each other. Uh, but I will tell you what you will also see, at least I know, I believe we'll see it is, let anybody come for a Kelly. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Let anybody come for a Kelly. Yeah. That's right. And listen. Then they're going to see what we mean by it takes a village. Uh-huh. Yes, yes, sir. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. yes. Yeah. So yeah. I, I think there is that natural thing where they will be friends. And there's that natural thing where they'll learn to take care of each other. Yeah, or you can guilt them like I do. Okay, here. No, uh, okay, and next question. <laughs> oh. Jimmy, I think it's you. <laughs> I got to say really quickly, mine are little... But something we've done and we've seen what you guys are saying, that it takes time. Our boys have really big gap in age difference. Like Christian Anthony's 10 and Lucas is three. But we tell Christian all the time, even though he messes everything around for all those moms that have little ones, you know, he loves now to be with him. He loves to like teach him and be like that brother Because we tell him all the time, hey, you might not feel it right now. And he's probably driving you crazy and making your room a whole whole mess. But he is your best friend. You're spending time with your best friend. And he told you that. He's like, what what are you talking about? I'm like, you don't see it right now. But when you guys are older, I'm like, you're Mm going to be driving together. You're going to be seeing each other Mm -hmm. together. He's going to visit you. And you can tell him, hey, I wipe your butt. (laughs) (laughs) Just behave. Like, you used to take my Legos. I'm like, this is just... Maybe the, oh, yeah. the, the the time in your life that you think that you, it's getting like in your nerves, but at the end of the day, this is your... Yeah. And then he sees it that way. And he actually, that kind of shifts his perspective of every moment they spend together, you know, as quality time. Well, and I think as for moms and dads, it's worth the work yeah. to help them know how to build this and help them see the importance of it. Because as they get older... Mom and dad don't have any say in it anymore. A few days before Mother's Day this year, you know, our oldest was deployed over in the Middle East. By the way, he just got home on Monday. Um, So we're all rejoicing about that. But he sent us, he's the oldest brother, and he sent us a screenshot that he took that all of the brothers were on FaceTime together. And they were laughing. And you, I mean, they were smiling real big and having a good time. He knew that that would get to me in the, in the mm-hmm. best of ways. So he dropped it in the family group chat. But Jimmy and I can't facilitate that anymore. We can't mm-hmm. go around, text your brother, call your brother. That would be annoying. But because of the hard work in the beginning, they 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 take it on now. Yeah, they really do. Now, Jesus Marie, you, you grew up in a very different type of a home than what you have right now at your house. So I wonder if you just speak to maybe moms who feel more alone as they're trying to raise these kids and try to facilitate these kind of relationships there's a lot of single moms in our church, a lot of single moms in our community and listening. I wonder if you just speak to that for a moment. Yeah. We have shared in other podcasts that, you know, my upbringing was very rough. You know, my dad was present, but basically he was absent because it was a very abusive home. And even though he taught us a lot of good morals, he never practiced any of them. But something that really helped us, it was a it just being finding a church family. And I didn't grow up Christian. I came to know the Lord later on, but I did have a grandmother. Praise the Lord for those grandmothers that took, took us to church from little, since we were little. And I didn't understand a lot of things by them, but I did, I did see and learn quickly, you know, the difference in the atmosphere. Because there was something, nobody was teaching me anything. I was just learning by seeing. And I knew there was something different and then there was more. 
And then the more, the older I get, you know, I started putting things together. And then I had all those leaders and pastors and even teachers in school that were pouring into my life. And that's kind of when I realized, okay, there's, there's, there's more than what my eyes can see. There's more than what my upbringing is teaching me. And I think for a lot of moms who are doing this by themselves or a lot of dads that are doing this by themselves and raising your boys in this broken world, there's more than their eyes they can see. And then they know it. And I think sometimes we take away the fact that they know and we think they don't know or they can grasp the truth, but they can and I think that's the mistake. Sometimes we think they're not ready. And you guys have shared that before, but we they are ready. I mean, the world doesn't ask permission. And then they just tell them the truth. So what do you have to say, baby? Well, I will say that I, I observed your mom. So later on in your life, your mom and your dad divorced. And, and your dad was sort of around, but still pretty abusive verbally and et cetera, et cetera. And so there was a, a weird relationship there. Yet your mom yep. always encouraged you guys to have a relationship with your father. And so- You even asked me, you're like, I, I don't understand. I'm like, well, actually, I didn't really understand. Uh, this was weird, but I didn't, I, I didn't really come to understand forgiveness until I married my wife and saw it played out in her family. Mm -hmm. Because you think about uh, different men, it's not only not only was her dad, but grandfather, her mom's yep. father as well, who who left the home and cheated on grandma and I mean, like all these things. But they literally spent time together as if like, and they sought after each other. They were looking for one another as if nothing had ever happened. And, and uh, it's not that they forgot what had happened, but they were able to look beyond that and forgive one another. But your mom, and, and from what I remember, she always, always directed you guys to, did you look for your father? Did you talk to him? She wanted her children to have a good relationship with her father, even though he might have some issues. And uh, we came to find out later on there were some, some mental problems he had due to really a tumor that he was dealing with for many years. But she always let you guys towards a relationship with your father. And I thought that that was pretty amazing in a broken home like your house was. I wonder, Eric, if you had any thoughts about that. You know, for, for moms and dads, you know, who, whoever that parent is that's, that's parenting alone, the first thing I would say is, you know, it, 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 it is tough. You know, I, 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 my mom made it look really easy. Jeez, I'm sure your mom, they never told us how tired, how hurt, how yeah. broken they were. So first thing is just to acknowledge, if you're listening, to acknowledge, I can't say that I know how it feels, but I will tell you, I know that it is. it has to be. But you lived it difficult. as a child. As a child, I lived it. I, I did. I watched my mother work incredibly long hours. And, it, you know, Kira and I, we're, we're a team. I don't know how my mother was able to do what yeah. she did. So more than anything else, and gosh, you know, Jimmy, I'll just take it maybe in this direction. More than anything else, man, I, I, I think in this moment, just to celebrate the parent that is doing this alone yeah. more than anything yeah, is just yeah. to say, gosh, you know, there were, if there was Rock more that we could give in that, in this moment, but just to celebrate in this moment, whoever's listening and wherever they're listening, just to celebrate you in this moment and, and doing it alone or single, I get that term, but I want to go back to the model that, that, that Pastor Scroggins has led here at Family Church. There is family all around yeah. us. There's a single mom that's, that's close to Kira and me and 
I'm going to call her out eventually because we have been telling her, come bring those kids to well, our house. Well, she was on the mom village, so we can call oh, her out. We, Sweet uh, yeah. Natasha. Okay. Mm-hmm. Super yeah. mom. They, they called you out, Super Natasha. Mom. I didn't. <laughs> we love we, that woman. We've been telling Natasha, and I told her kids, I said, listen, I'm just going to come kidnap you from your home. Your mom <laughs> yeah. is not going to know where you are. But we You'll did be a couple house. weeks ago, and this is yeah, what I was going to say, is that oh, yeah, single moms ask for help or yeah. allow help. So I, we had been soliciting her just to help, just to help. And one day she called me out of the blue and she said, I need help. And mm. I was like, I will drop everything else. What mm. do you need? Yeah. And it allowed her to go out with friends for dinner and have a great that's evening. All she needed. And that's, that's all, all she, she needed. needed. I was yeah. like, I will Uber your kids all day. And <laughs> yeah, that is exactly. And she was so grateful. So I would encourage whether you're a single parent, reach out to those. And, and for on the flip side, for... Those households who are double parents, you have a mom and a dad, don't single out the single mom or dad, you know, invite them in because sometimes they may feel uncomfortable or feel isolated. So, you know, let's pull them in as well. And what a great example, Carrie. And I tell you, Chris and I are blessed because we're acquainted with all of y'all's children and all of y'all's parents. And uh, it's it's an amazing thing to get to know multiple generations. And all of you know my parents. And it's a it's amazing thing that we know each other's children, we know each other's parents to some degree, and we that's one of the powerful things about a church family that you're describing. Yeah. Is that mm-hmm. in a church family we get to see, you know, all of that, participate in all of that. And uh, you know, now we're in a situation where all of us are also we have aging parents. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and so we're kind of all walking through that together as well. And that's but but without the church family, how would you even do it, you know? Yeah. I would I wouldn't I wouldn't want to. Well, man, we you know, this is an episode about raising sons. And so we've talked a lot about maleness and being strong and and tough and all of these things. But what does the scripture actually say about maleness and about sexuality in terms of men? If you would even share some passages or just some thoughts that you have about that, because we keep talking, alluding to God's design and all of these things. But could we just get a little more specific for a minute, babe? What you got? <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. So I, I don't know that there, I don't know that there's a lot of um, no, no passages jump to mind that are specific to male sexuality. I think the Bible speaks to God's design for maleness and femaleness, mm-hmm. and God's design for sexuality requires one of each. Mm-hmm. And so that's God's design for all of us, and that should be what we're all trying to manage our sexuality towards. And so I would just say a couple of scripture passages. If you go back to the Book of Genesis in the first few chapters. Genesis chapter one, God created men and women in his image, male and female. He created them and God put them together. So in that first chapter of Genesis, you've got this differentiation, maleness and femaleness. So we know that there is a difference between biologically, anatomically, and maybe in some other ways, maleness and femaleness, although we're equal and we're equally created in the image of God, not one more godly or godlike than the other. So there's differentiation. There's fundamental equality, but there's also fundamental interdependence because God put Adam and Eve in the garden to model this. It takes men and women to take dominion over God's creation according to God's design. And then God said one of the ways that we do that is he's going to put men and women and make them turn them into families. And so God takes Adam and Eve and he puts them together. And when Adam sees Eve, he says, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then it says that Adam and Eve were naked together and were not ashamed. And that really is the goal, that for our sexuality, that we're managing a sexuality towards a relationship 
that consummates in marriage. And so we're trying to manage our sexuality towards that so that our sexual expression and experience is uh, reserved for marriage, but celebrated and honored within marriage. Having said all of that, the Bible tells men and women in the New Testament to abstain from sexual immorality. St. Paul says to flee from sexual immorality. But St. Paul also says that on the one hand, it's better to get married than to burn. Mm -hmm. So if you are sexually passionate, interested, the, the way to move forward is to ask God and to work towards marriage. At the same time, we have a lot of single people in our church and listen to the podcast. The Old Testament has a really interesting verse. It says, you would be better off living on the corner of a roof than in the house with a contentious spouse. <laughs> and what the Bible is trying to tell you is singleness may be lonely and frustrating, but there is something worse. <laughs> and that is being married to the wrong type of person. And so we don't want anyone to rush into things or just do something to do it. And so those are some things that jump to mind immediately when it talks about, when I think about biblical sexuality. Yeah, I was speaking with a young man in his early 30s. He's engaged. And uh, he, he we were talking. He says, man, I just want to ask you your thought on this. He said, uh, and, you know, he's, he's a guy who did not have his dad in his life as well. And so, you know, early 30s, he's asking some of those questions that boys ask at 11 or 12 or whenever. He said, you know, getting married and I want to be faithful. He says, but sometimes I just feel like, in, in his words, I feel like it's just not natural for a man to just be with one woman. You know, he's just, he's trying to figure that whole manly thing out. And I said it to him- It is for me, honey. Yes. Well, I, I assured him, I assured him of this. I said, well, son, this is when I really played the, the older man role. I said, I can absolutely hear you when you say that, but I want you to think of it this way. Whether it's natural or not, God calls us to a supernatural relationship with him. And so in that supernatural relationship with God, God will help you to love and to understand whatever your desires are. They're not greater than the love that God will give you for the one woman that you will marry and that you will have. And so I say that because it's going to be, you're going to have those tough questions coming from some boys about, well, what if I like this girl and this girl? Early on, you're going to, we have to have those conversations like, well, you know, God is going to give you a heart for one girl one day, and that's going to be the girl you give all of your life to and all of your love to. But there's some natural maleness and, and wild at heartness that comes out. And this 33-year-old guy, you know, just chatting with him about it and told him, listen, that, that may be what you think now, but when you get married, you have to understand that. And he's a believer that God does call us to a supernatural relationship where we come to know and to love just one woman. So thank you, Jimmy, for jumping ahead to say for all of us at this table, we know that there is one love for one man, one wife for life. So that's just my thought to it, Kristen. Yeah. You know, as I was, uh, as I was thinking about this, my parents, I think my dad did a great job of leading me to think properly about just God and my relationship with God as I was heading into, you know, this season of my sex drive kind of growing and turning into a crazy teenager. And uh, this idea of the fear of God and just honoring the Lord and obeying. And I remember he asked me to learn, you know, Psalm 1, and blessed is the man, you know, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. And you just go through it and it teaches you how to think. And so with that in mind, I want to ask you this question about sex drive. It, it is part of God's design for men. We have a sex drive. It's uh, testosterone and all these things, but how can we 
it's natural, but how can we nurture this the right way for these young men? How can we help them nurture this and and sort of not really and learn to control it and learn to use it for God's glory in their lives and for their own benefit rather than a godly benefit in their lives rather than just in any way or in a way that the world describes for them to do it. Or their flesh. And not having a dad, but I will say this, raising our boys, the first thing that I think we do is we affirm it. We affirm that what they feel is real. We affirm that how their body is changing and the things that happen in their body, it's real. And I even t- I think again about this 33-year-old young man who is really, in that moment, 11-year-old boy wanting to ask his yeah, dad, that's right. what if I like more than one girl? I think we have to affirm, first of all, what it means to be sometimes wild at heart, man, you know, testosterone and is flowing. And then how do we, in, in managing that, how do we look to the Bible for instruction and direction on how we now channel that? So I, I would say the very first thing we do in moms, dads, single, married, affirm as early as they begin to acknowledge it, we have to affirm that it is real. It is real. They're, they're thinking about these things. Some of our kids will will think about it more than others of our kids, but we have to acknowledge, we have to bring it to light. Jisma, you talked about how when your girls see certain things, you want to let them know, baby, they got to put a ring on it. That's not what you said, but <laughs> something like that. Yeah, so you said it much better. <laughs> the boyfriends don't get husband privileges. So we, we start talking about those things. Really. I would just say affirm that these boys are feeling what they feel, that, that the sensing of their natural body is real. And then we point them to God's design for how to actualize it. Yeah, and I, I think that's so helpful, Eric, because I do, I do think just acknowledging the reality and the fact that God made us as sexual beings. And so that's not supposed to be covered up, tamped down. It's not supposed to be uh, subverted in some uh, way. It's not supposed to be treated as weird or perverted or abnormal, that we are made as sexual beings. And when boys start going through puberty, their sexuality awakens in a different way. They were sexual before that, too. But it awakens in a, in a different way when they start going through puberty. And then I would just say the fact that it is real, the fact that uh, it is God's gift to us and God has a design for it. They share with us in the scripture. So we have some parameters that we've talked about on this show and other places many times in order to enjoy the design. But then I, I also think that God has a purpose for it. And so I just don't think that we should ever talk to even our little baby children, nor our teenage children, nor our adult children about sexuality without talking about marriage. And so all of this, you know, when your body yes. wakes up sexually, that's your body waking up saying, you're designed for a purpose. God's giving you a sexuality for a purpose. It is enjoyable, but it's not enjoyable for pleasure's own sake. It is a pleasure that has a purpose. Mm-hmm. And the purpose is to stick you together with your spouse. The purpose is, if you can, it is to produce children. And so there's this purpose of the glue, relational glue in a marriage and procreation. And it's a picture of God's unity with his people in Jesus Christ. So there's all these beautiful things. So our sexuality is real, but there's a design for it, but it has a purpose. Mm. And when people in our society don't believe there is a design and they don't believe there is a purpose and all they are left with is the pursuit of pleasure and it's not enough. And that's Mm. why people are so empty. And a Christian vision for sexuality is so much better because, and that's why even empirical studies show you the people who are most satisfied with their sex life are Christians married to other Christians. 
And it always blows the researchers away because like, how can that be? Well, because these are people who have a, they, they've grasped the reality of sexuality. They're managing it according to God's design and they understand its purpose. And that's when you get your highest and best experience. That's good. And I think you just hit the point of our next question because without purpose comes a lot of challenges for this boy, for all these boys and men. So like multicultural, por pornography, social media. I mean, can you guys give us some, maybe some signs or indicators that you can help our village They're racing boys, you know, that you can let them know, hey, when you see this behavior, when you see this, because as you said, Pastor Jamie, if you don't teach them what the purpose, you know, they can detour to all this, you know, broken choices. So what are those things that, yeah, we can help our village kind of know about racing boys, those challenges? Christian, you should jump in on that. Well, I don't, my boys are almost getting there. My oldest is about to get there. So he already um, likes girls. Yeah, he likes girls. He has a, he has a little girl friend. who's a friend and they, oh. hey, they, she don't get wife privileges. <laughs> she doesn't. They talk about political issues at 10, at 10 years old. I'm just, uh, it's the craziest Sounds thing. Sounds like our dad. Yeah, yeah. It's the weirdest thing. But, but, you know, I think some, I mean, I think we're all feeling this. Okay. Every mom, every dad feels this, that um, the, the wrong picture of sexuality and, and, and life and, and sexual life is out there constantly everywhere. So we're having to dodge uh, all these bullets that are coming from the media and from everywhere else while also teaching our children God's design. And I think that's what we go back to. And as we have these conversations, if we just teach our children how to think the way that God wants them to think, okay, what is God's design for sexuality? What is God's design for their lives? then we can help them to make the right choices. That doesn't mean they're going to make the right choices every time, but it, it means that we have give, given them a framework, a godly framework by which to live their lives. And the hopes are that in the future, they get to make the decisions that honor God, that give them these privileges to have a, a beautiful wife living in a monogamous relationship. This is important. These things make a difference. And so I think teaching our children God's design for marriage, for sexuality, just like Jimmy talked about from scripture and, and how to honor God with their lives and their sexuality, I think is so important. That will make them make many of the right decisions, not all the time, but many of the right decisions regarding pornography, regarding what's happening on social media, regarding by what they expose themselves to, the type of friends that they come, that they, that they have, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I'm going to add really quick that we were discussing this and a lot of, I feel like in this world, a lot of parents kind of like blame either the culture or the way you were raised or your skin color or where you're from to kind of justify your actions. But like you guys said, it doesn't matter where you're from, your skin color, your background, you were raised single, not single. If you teach your kids God's design, They will, they will be able to make the right choices when they are tested by the world. Like just Christian said, we were, we share like a statistics about pornography and how high the numbers are getting for middle schoolers and younger and younger. And it's, it's, it's mind blowing, you know, how much social media has affected psychologically, emotionally and sociologically our teens and This is what we're trying to say to our village, you know, no matter if you're parenting alone, all together, just God's design, scripture, church family, all those things are vital to raising your sons to be godly men. 
And I think I think too, just to kind of contribute to that, I, I just feel like I do feel like pornography is so ubiquitous in our culture that it's probably highly unlikely that our boys are going to grow up and reach adulthood without ever viewing pornography. I think the chances are virtually zero for that. And so what we want to do is be warning them, talking to them in realistic ways, but also be prepared to help them manage the challenge that pornography is going to present in their lives and to act as if, oh, if you ever look at that, your life's ruined. Well, that can't, that cannot be our, our posture yeah. to act as if, oh, if you, if you ever look at pornography or you find yourself enmeshed in pornography, uh, you can't talk to me about it because I'm going to think that you're some kind of a dirty kid or some kind of pariah. We've got to keep the door open and the conversation going because many of our children are are going to have some real challenges in this area. And so I just think having resources available, being a part of a church family, having some other people speak into it, and then working hard at managing technology in your home the best you can. But just recognize that there is a, a big God out there with a lot of grace yeah. that Jesus' blood washes us from sin. He can change our minds, change our direction. And if you don't believe that, then you're not going to be able to be redemptive when you run into these kind of challenges. And this idea of God's redeeming love is so powerful because pornography makes everybody feel so dirty and you need the cleansing and the blood of Christ and the grace of Christ to be flooding your conversations and your home and your mindset as you grapple with this horrible issue that is a scourge, but that none of us can fully escape. Well, thank you so much, everybody, for joining us. We're out of time, but we so want to thank you. We want to thank you so much, Mom Village, for joining us and letting us take over. Ladies, thank you for that. (laughs) And so um, uh, from all of us to all of you, we wish you a wonderful Mom Village Day. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Adios.